Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. As we've been going through Jeremiah and Ezekiel during Sunday school, and now Zedekiah, that's good, Zechariah during the morning service, I'm mindful again continually of the the resurgence of Israel as a nation. And, um, you know, that debate in my brain of um, where we stand in fulfilled prophecy. Um, clearly, I'm not one who believes in setting dates. Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, but my Father only. But Paul said um, to the Thessalonians that it will be like a woman in travail. Um, there will be this peace, everybody saying peace and safety, and then all of a sudden, sudden destruction will come upon them. And so if you've ever had a, um, a child, or your wife has had the child and you've watched, you know that there's this period of time where um, the, the pregnancy starts, and you have the, the um, boy, my brain is just not working, um, contractions, thank you, and they're they're very soft, and yet you're starting to wonder, are these Braxton Hicks, you know, false contractions? Or I mean, There's no such thing as a false contraction. I mean, tell a woman there's a false contraction. Oh, that's just a false contraction. Don't worry about it. Really? You ought to feel this thing. Anyways, but it's not really unto birth is the idea, right? And so, and so you're trying to decide, is this really the real time or not? There have been many times throughout history that people have thought what? This is it, this is it. But they were just Braxton Hicks, you know? <laughs> and so, so I don't want to jump into that, you know, this is it, this is it. But for years I have truly believed um, that I'm living in the days of Christ's return. And that if I live to a standard life, that Christ is going to come back in my lifetime. Now, we'll see how that plays out. Because again, many people throughout history have what? Have thought that, have believed that. But Simeon and Anna, they had it right. They were in the temple waiting when Jesus was born, right? And so there are indicators that are there um, in the Word of God. And I'm not going to spend all the time talking about those indicators today, for sure. But again, just the concept of Israel becoming a nation again is so exciting to me. Especially as we go through all these prophecies. And uh, before Jeremiah and Ezekiel, we went through Isaiah and such. And to consider all that God has declared regarding um, Israel... In Hosea, which I haven't gone through, but I... Um, did someone go through Hosea already? I can't remember. You're doing Haggai, right, Chuck? Haggai, yeah. So, but Hosea 6, verse 2 and 3, it says, After two days I will revive my people, and the third day I will restore her. And it's just it's so exciting to me when you consider how prophecy plays out. And that um, Jesus said in Matthew 24, when he talks about the wars and the rumors of wars and the pestilence and the famine, he says these are just the beginning of birth pains. Birth pains. Talking about those contractions. You know, and you start to see the world and, and you just kind of wonder, are we going through the contractions? And so as we consider these words of prophecy, um, it's, it's kind of exciting to me. And so um, as we've gone through, we've seen that God, Yahweh, shares with Zechariah five specific words, okay? Um, five specific communications. And there are a variety of visions and such within each of those words. And we are currently looking at the fourth word of Yahweh to Zechariah. And last week we begin it. And um, last week as we begin it, 
we considered again um, the telescopic nature of prophecy because in chapter 9 itself, we saw three very primary um, major events in the world. And I should potentially have moved these arrows on along with these ridges because, you know, potentially Alexander coming was probably like right here maybe or, you know, and then you got the, the, the first coming of Christ maybe here and then maybe way back here is the, the second coming of Christ, you know, because there's other things that were going on in world history in between Alexander's coming and then the first coming of Christ and then the, the second coming of Christ. But the idea is that you're looking way out there and you're Zechariah or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or one of these guys and, and God's just giving you this, this vision. And I mean, have you ever had a dream? Yeah, I'm sure you have. And but in, in the dream, that it kind of starts changing, and you kind of wonder, well, where, did, where did that person come from in this dream? You know, and you know, dude, we were at a pizza parlor, and now all of a sudden I'm in the middle of a boat in the ocean. And, you know, and like, how did this thing happen? And it's, it's kind of almost what you kind of picture. It's kind of like all these things are, are kind of playing out that way, and it's like, whoa. And so the other night I had a guy come into my dream that uh, I haven't, I mean, he was there at the beginning of Garden City. So I, I could say his name, and none of you probably even know it. So, but he was there when we were, were saved. And I'm thinking, how did this guy get in the middle of my dream? And I'm trying to think if we were at a ball game or whatever. Yeah, I think it were. I think I was pitching. Anyways, it's just kind of a weird thing. You know, I was pitching. Anyways, and so uh, it's just kind of weird how all those things play together. And so I kind of wonder sometimes when, you know, when you're having these visions, is this kind of what it looks like? And, you know, it's kind of all these things are blending and blurring together. And so you have these these mountaintops that are going on. And so, so we saw then in chapter 9, then the coming of Alexander in the destruction of Tyre, specifically the details, and how um, then that Alexander was going to come down, and then he was going to go back up through, um, and he wasn't going to touch Jerusalem at all. Someone mentioned to me this week about how Jerusalem had um, given him homage, and that's a true statement, um, but he never destroyed Jerusalem, and think about it, what was going on, excuse me, at the time of when Zechariah gives this prophecy about Alexander's coming, and so when, so what's going, what's going on when Zechariah is speaking, and what would have already happened when, when Alexander comes through? Say again? Building Building the temple. What did he want to do with Tyre? Say again? No, he didn't want to destroy Tyre at first. He wanted to offer in their temple because they had the, the true God, according to them, right? And so Alexander wanted to go. Wouldn't it have made sense that when he came to Jerusalem, he'd want to do the same thing? But God said he put a shield about it. He was going to protect them. It wasn't going to happen. He wasn't going to touch them. So he passes through, if you would, twice, you know, on the way south to Egypt and on the way back up going toward Persia, and he doesn't touch. And so it's just really kind of neat. And then from there, we, we got into the coming of Christ, the first coming, where your king is going to come to you lowly and riding on a donkey. And so you have the, this contrast between the earthly king who's coming with uh, despotism and, and destruction and then the, the, the heavenly king who's going to come um, lowly in humility and bringing peace. And then the ultimate coming then of the heavenly king. And when he comes, he's coming to what? For judgment, but to rule. That's right. He's going to rule, and he's going to, he's going to judge the nations. Okay, And so we have that, and that, that concept now then plays into chapter 10. Okay, Plays into chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles open, hopefully it's to open to chapter 10. And um, as we see this, it's kind of 
uh, fun. Maybe I was thinking thematically this week. I don't know. But in our study of Jeremiah, I've got the eight decisions that play out between chapter 40 and 41 that we're going through. And what, you're gonna, what I see anyway as I come through chapters 10 and 11 here of Zechariah are this focus on a theme of a shepherd. Okay, that God is, is um, discussing various shepherds and that he ultimately is the true shepherd. And so when you so take those, those three events now, and now he's going to come back and he's going he's to present all this in, a, in, a, in, a, in another way, kind of come along the side and presenting another visionary kind of thing. So, um, so let's begin in chapter 10, Zechariah 10, beginning of verse 1. And the first thing we're going to see as, as we read through this is we're going to see the lack of a real shepherd, okay? So I want to read the first couple of verses. Ask, it's an imperative, ask Yahweh for rain in the time of the latter rain. Yahweh will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. For the idols speak delusion. The diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore the people wend their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. First, we got in verse 1 this plea of, the plea of Yahweh. It's a plea. He's, it's, it's an imperative, but it's almost like he is lowering himself to the people. He's imploring them, ask me. Ask me. Ask Yahweh for rain. What have they been doing? What have they been doing? Who they've been going to? The idols. They're idols. That's why he comes back to them in verse 2. He says, For the idols, and the teraphim there is household idols, speak delusion. The diviners, which is kind of an interesting word, um, the witchcraft magicians, um, Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 14, 2 Kings 17. Do I have the. Yeah, so, so he cries out to them to, to ask him. And this is kind of cool because it's, it's fulfilled prophecy as well. In Deuteronomy 11, okay, and I've got it up here. You can turn it if you want. But 13 to 15 says, And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God, serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Yahweh saying, look, I promised this. So ask me. Jesus said, ask what? And it will be given unto you. Knock, and the door will be opened. Seek, and you shall find. All you got to do is ask me. But they wouldn't ask him. Rather, they were asking the idols. Okay? And so you had this, the delusion of the diviners. And interesting, this word for diviner is the word for witchcraft. Okay? And I'm not going to necessarily go through this, but you can see in Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 14, talking about the abominations of the nations that were there before them, that they had those who passed, put their sons and daughters through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, literally magic. Okay? And then he, the same word is used as diviners. And so this is talking about um, they went to these household idols. I mean, growing up, my, we don't have it anymore. My mom and dad were convicted and they got rid of it. But we had a, we had a Buddha sitting on the on the on the on the on the TV growing up, you know. We weren't Buddhists, but we had a Buddha. And the the, the fun thing was to go past and what? Rub Buddha's belly. What are you supposed to do when you rub Buddha's belly? Make a wish. What's a wish? Think about it. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. You don't think of that. It's just a what? 
Oh, you're just doing it, right? But really, you got a what? You got a false idol in your house who you're offering homage to. Okay, now I know you say, ah, you know, you know. but it really isn't that how that starts? I mean, that's how it plays out. My mom and dad, it was an ignorance for them. I'm not picking on them, okay? But I remember after I was saved, I mean, that thing bothered me. I mean, you know, I got a false idol sitting in the house there, you know, and everybody's kind of doing homage to, to Buddha, you know, and, um, and you're not, but you are, okay? And that's what's going on here. And so instead of asking God, they're asking their false gods. And they're playing with witchcraft, magic. Think about our land today. Popping up all over the place are what? Palm readers, diviners, okay? I mean, it's all over the TV. I still remember when I was driving truck. This was years ago when I first started the church, and I was driving truck, and I was delivering carpet to this one uh, little place in Greenwood, I think it was, South Carolina. And um, it was just a little bitty carpet shop, and it was just a little old bitty lady who's working it, right? And so I got this big roll of carpet, and I got to, she ain't taking it off the truck, you know? And so anyway, so I, you know, she had this little thing with the rollers and stuff, and so I got to drag this carpet out of the truck onto these rollers and get it into the, into the shop. And so I went up front to where her office was so I could sign. She's got, I mean, this is a little old bitty lady. You'd think that she was a, you know, old Southern Baptist, you know, whatever, da 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 you know? She's watching a diviner on TV, I couldn't believe this. I mean, this is years ago. Deep South. This is, it's prevalent throughout our land. I mean, we, sometimes we kind of live in an old greenhouse, and we don't really realize what's going on in our world. Okay? But it's becoming more and more prevalent in our land. You know? Regardless of whether we've got Buddha statues laying around. I mean, the diviners, the magic, the magicians the, are, are all over the place. I mean, right around the corner we've got one over there on Martinez Boulevard. You know, over in Bel Air Road, Mrs. Graham. I mean, it's just, it's all over the place, okay? So anyways, so instead of looking to God, they're looking to these diviners. And what are the diviners doing, according to the word? They are what? Speaking lies, delusions. They're speaking delusions, envisioning lies. And, you know, the word of God says that when the time when Jesus comes, okay, that God, because people are going to be rejecting God, he's going to give them over to what? Say again? A lie. They're, because they're going to believe the lie. They're going to believe the lie. They're going to, they're going to be deluded. And you kind of think, you're saying, how, can, how can that happen? How can it happen? But you think, how did it happen with Israel? How does it happen with us? From the beginning, from the very beginning, in the garden, Adam and then Eve fellowshiped with God. Such that when they heard God walking in the garden, they knew it was him. There was nobody else. I mean, it was just the three of them, right? Okay? They knew that God was walking in the garden, and they did what? They hid themselves. Why did they hide themselves? Because they had sinned. How did they sin? They disobeyed God. Go, go deeper than that. How did they sin? They believed the lie. Yeah, they listened to Satan. They, they listened to the delusions of Satan. Has God really said, oh, come on, God knows that if you eat of that, you're going to become my God. He's just trying to hold it all back from you. You can become a God just like him. Sounds like Mormonism, doesn't it? And so, 
And isn't it amazing? Think about that. It's just like Mormonism, and it's what they teach today. And yet they're all the way back in the garden, back in Genesis chapter 3. And they all believe it. It hasn't changed. The delusions and the envisionings of lies are all there, and they're going to be playing out in our day today. So, so anyways, so this lack of a real shepherd, nobody was standing up in declaring what the truth was. All their shepherds, as we're going to see in a moment, were all playing out after the false gods as well. Therefore, the people wend, end of verse 2, wend. The word wend means to go in a specified direction, typically slowly, meandering. The people meander their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. Nobody stood up within them to proclaim the truth. And so the people were just walking, if you would, aimlessly. Does it kind of sound like our country? you got a bunch of people walking aimlessly. Whose job is it to shepherd the people? Us. You're exactly right. Us. Those who know the shepherd. Yahweh said, or speaking through David, Yahweh is what? My shepherd, right? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, right? If we're walking in a path of the good shepherd, then we ought to desire to shepherd his sheep as well. Okay? Now, I get it. I may be a sheep, but I'm also a shepherd as well. And there's a part where I am supposed to proclaim the truth. Okay? So if you were in Sunday school and we were going through Ezekiel with us, the watchman on the watchtower, the reality is that if you see it coming and you don't tell the people, then the blood is on your hands. If you see it coming and you tell them and they reject it and don't do anything about it, the blood is on their hands. But we, in a sense, act as shepherds as well. We are, are in this world to, 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 to be a light. And you don't take the, 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 the light and you stick it under the bed or you stick it under a bushel, but rather you stick it up on a table so it can bring light where? For the whole room. And we're not talking about just the church. We're talking about the world so that the world would, will have knowledge, okay? And the, the, the darkness that doesn't like the light, Okay. So, they the lack of a real shepherd. Then you got the, oh, this is another one to talk about practice witchcraft. But then you got the visitation of the true shepherd. And in this, God gives them, Yahweh gives um, seven promises. Two, four, six, six promises. Okay? And so look, as we read it, I want you to listen to these promises that come from Yahweh. Beginning of verse 3. My anger is kindled against the shepherds. I will punish the goatherds. For Yahweh Sabaoth will visit his flock. The house of Judah and will make them as his royal horse in the battle. From him comes the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler together. They shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in a battle. They shall fight because Yahweh is with them, and the riders on their horses shall be put to shame. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will deliver or save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back, because I have because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside, for I am Yahweh their God, and I will hear them. Those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their hearts shall rejoice as if with wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in Yahweh. I will whistle for them and gather them, for I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once increased. I will sow them among the peoples, 
and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their children, and they shall return. I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them back into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no more room is found for them. He shall pass through the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea. All the depths of the river shall dry up. Then the pride of Assyria shall be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. So I will strengthen them in Yahweh, and they shall walk up and down in his name, says Yahweh. Yahweh gives these six promises um, to them. First, verse 6, that he's going to strengthen them. He's going to deliver them or save them. And he's going to restore them. He's going to bring them back. So note when it says that he's going to, he's going to bring them back. Um, he then goes on and says he's going to bring them back. Why? End of verse 6. Or middle of it. I will bring them back because? Because I have mercy. It's not I'm going to bring them back because they deserve it. Or they're so good. Or they finally have attained this level of righteousness. I'm going to bring them back because I have mercy. For I am Yahweh their God. And so God bases all this upon himself. And then based on that, based upon the fact that he has mercy, he's going to then what? Hear them. And this kind of goes with what David talked about with communion. When Israel was in Egypt, and uh, when God comes to, Yahweh comes to Moses, he tells Moses, I have what? I have heard the cry of my people. And so God, once again, is going to have mercy, and he's going to hear their cry. And when he does, he's going to regather them. Okay? Note what's all in, in this part, because now he does a little parenthesis about this regathering. He says, I'm going to whistle for them and regather them and redeem them. But then he says, because I'm going to sow them among the peoples. So think again about this. The people are coming back to the land, right? He's talking to Zechariah. Zechariah is one of the people who have been coming back to the land. But God's now saying, I'm going to what? Verse 9. I will sow them among the peoples, and they shall remember me. Say again. I'm going to scatter them, right? So, but I'm Zechariah. Where am I at when, when God's talking to me? Jerusalem. I'm what? I'm back in the land. I figured that I was what? Part of the regathering. Make sense? But God's telling me what? It's all going to happen one more time. That there's going to be this massive scattering. So we've seen that. Remember when we talked about it, he's going to gather them from the east and from the, from the west, all the way to the sea, okay? That there's going to be this massive regathering later on. Um, and we're, again, seeing that potentially with this, the, the coming together of Israel, okay? And so God, I think it's fun, I'm going to whistle. You know, what do you whistle for? Yeah, normally your dog. Actually, Marsha and I have a little. So when we're in the store, we know where each other's at. But the idea is, my sheep hear my voice, and they know me, even when I what? Whistle. Isn't that kind of cool? I'm going to whistle for them. And they're going to come. They're going to come running. They're going to come. Okay? I'm going to regather them together. And I'm going to what? What's that final one? I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to buy them back. I'm going to buy them back. How did the redemption occur? Through the blood of Christ. I want you to think about this. The blood of Christ occurred how long ago, approximately? 
2,000 years ago. And so Israel's a God of nation right now, and they worship the, their Messiah. Am I right? No, not at all. And so you wonder, how does this play out? But then I read Paul declaring in the book of Romans that when all this plays out, when the time of the Gentiles is at its completion, and God once again works with Israel, so all Israel shall be saved. They will be delivered. And as we're going to read in Zechariah in a few weeks here, that they're going to look upon him whom they have pierced. And they're going to mourn for him as one mourns for their only begotten son. They're going to recognize who he is. And they're going to accept the redemption that already has been paid for them. How cool is that? I don't know if you know Jesus as your Savior today. I'm assuming everybody here does, right? But do you realize that 2,000 years ago, God made a payment for you? 2,000 years. You can't say, oh, I wish God would do it for me. And he did. And yet we discount it. The rest of the world discounts it. How sad it is for those who, who know it to discount it. And so I never want to get there and find out that people who I've talked to never understood, never knew, never heard. So the visitation of the true shepherd, promises of Yahweh, what he'll do for them. But then you have these response of Israel. They shall rejoice, they shall remember, and they shall return. They shall rejoice, rejoice at the mercy of God being revealed upon them. They shall remember. Remember what? What shall they remember? Verse 9. What shall they remember? Yahweh. Me. They shall remember Yahweh. They'll remember me. Remember? Because they they've been looking at their idols and their diviners, been looking at everybody else. But now, where they've been scattered to, they'll remember me. And when I whistle, they'll come back. Have you ever wandered away from God? Has His mercy been shown to you? In that moment, have you remembered? And when He whistled, did you come back? It's God's desire is for us to have that sweet fellowship with Him. And so we slide into chapter 11 with the judgment of the worthless shepherds. Beginning of verse 1, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, because the mighty trees are ruined. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down. There is the sound of wailing shepherds, for their glory is in ruins. There is the sound of roaring lions, for the pride of Jordan of the Jordan is in ruins. Thus says Yahweh my God, Feed the flock for slaughter, whose honors slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them say, Blessed be Yahweh, for I am rich, and their shepherds do not pity them. For I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says Yahweh, but indeed I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. They shall attack the land, and I will not deliver them from their hand. So I fed the flock for slaughter, in particular the poor of the flock. So, so God says to Zechariah, okay, look, I want you to be a word picture just like Ezekiel was a word picture, just like Jeremiah was a word picture. I want you to do a word picture for me. I want you to get yourself a flock. And I want you to neglect the flock. I want you to feed the poor and stuff like that. But in the end, I'm, I'm going to have you neglect the flock because that's exactly what's happening. 
the shepherds are, ne- are, ne- are neglecting the flock. But he starts off with this thing with verse 1, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. And you're like, why is all this playing out? Well, this is all about the coming of Rome. Okay, And you can see my notes up here, culminating in 70 AD. The inviting, invading fire coming through Lebanon destroyed all the trees. And this is really an amazing thing. When you read this then again, it says, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. Well, O Cyprus, these are all what? Trees. For the cedar has fallen because the mighty trees are ruined. When Rome came in, they raped the land. They cut down the trees and they used them for the battering rams and for the siege ramps and everything else. And they, they denuded the, the land of the trees. And so when you come down, um, down the, the, the Jordan River, look um, down toward the end of verse 3. For the pride of the Jordan is in ruins. There was a huge forest down along there. It was why it was green space down in there. And Rome just kind of wiped it all out. So the forests are now gone. So there's no place for the lions and for the, 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 the beasts of the wild to what? To live and to hide. And so all this is coming on. There's a sound of roaring lions, okay? I mean, they're, they're like, wow. Could you? My mom and dad have deer in their house. Now, I mean, it sounds like nothing because you live down here in Georgia. But you understand they live in the heart of the city of Pittsburgh. There's just a teeny-weeny little strip of woods. And they got a whole herd. There's a, there's a buck that has a rack like this that lives there. Because you're not allowed to hunt in the city. <laughs> had a guy who lived... So, so from my... you got to stand my room, which when I go back up, I sleep in that room. There's this much space between my bed, single bed, and my brother's bed. Teeny-weeny room. Okay, So we live in a little matchbox house. Anyways, but I can look out my window, and I can look down over the next street, okay? Because, again, Pittsburgh's built on mountains, right? And then I can see the next street right there. So, I mean, I can just look right over the, the next two layers of houses right to the, the alleyway. And there's just a little bitty strip of woods, just a little. I mean, not like, like I can see the houses. That's how thin the woods are, okay? And so the guy that I can see his house, he came back years ago from hunting, couldn't see anything. And when he got to his driveway... There was that buck just standing there waiting for him. <laughs> and he wasn't allowed to touch him. Life isn't fair. That's exactly right. But think about those deer. You know, life isn't fair. I mean, they're living in a what? I'm in a matchbox of woods. Make sense? Okay. And so as we expand and, and we, we make our, our cities and stuff like that, the, the, the animals are continually pushed out. You almost wonder, do they really whine? Do they... And so here the lions are being pictured as roaring because the, the, Rome, Rome, the Roman um, soldiers have come and they're just cutting down their, their dwelling places, right? And so you have this thing going on, okay? And so also there's a play in the Hebrew um, on the word ra'ah, which is ra'ah is the word for shepherd, but also to shepherd. And so it's the who they are, but what they do. And so every time you see... You, it's saying, but feed the flock, it's ra'ah again. So the, this whole concept of what should be happening is that the shepherds who were supposed to be the shepherds were supposed to be feeding the sheep. And so Paul says to the overseers that we're supposed to do what? Feed the flock. Okay? That's the whole idea is the shepherds are supposed to feed the flock. And again, I'm going to challenge you that that's not just my job, but God has you in a little area, okay? And you have people that, that you actually shepherd on, on, a, on, a, on a daily basis that I'm never going to meet. And it's your job to feed them. I have the, the privilege right now 
of when I do my quiet time. So me and another guy were, were holding each other accountable with our quiet time. But that has now played out that there's actually three other young guys who have asked for those things. And so every day I send my notes to these three other guys. One of those guys isn't saved. How cool is that? And so I get to share just my... I'm not doing it for them. I've said, look, I'm, I'm just, I, I refuse to try to do this, so I'm teaching other people. I'm just going to put down, this is what Bob gets out of the passage for Bob. But in a sense, I'm still what? Teaching in that, because I'm sharing with them what God shared with me. And so, um, so I just want to encourage you in that. You don't know how it could play out. It may be a matter of whether it's through Facebook or through Twitter or one of those things. I, I don't really do those a whole lot, but you may do those things. It may be through um, through texting, okay, that you have the opportunity to influence people. That's shepherding, whether you realize it or not, okay, and that you could influence them very much like that. So the lamentations of the shepherds, okay, they're wailing, okay, but then we have the, um, turn it on, the dereliction of the shepherds, um, where it says at the very end, I took for myself two staffs. Um, this is the end of verse 7. I took for myself two staffs, the one I called beauty, um, literally, it means um, pleasantness or beauty, pleasantness of wisdom. Okay? Um, oh, you know what? I never finished that other one, did I? Go to verse seven, first four. For thus says Yahweh my God, feed the flock for slaughter, whose on- owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them say, Blessed be Yahweh, for I am rich. And their shepherds, Yahweh, or Yah, Ra, do not pity them. For I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says Yahweh. And so, the dereliction of the shepherds. They are fleecing the flock. They're, 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 they're destroying the flock. And what do they say as a result of it? Say again? I'm rich. I'm being blessed. Man, I, I don't know. I mean, okay, so here I am. I'm going to pick, okay? Health and wealth, okay? And so... I'm going to name a name because it's Robert Tilton. Anyways, I mean, some of you may not even know that name, but I mean, I just don't remember. His eyes were really weird. Anyways, he put out his hand, touch the table, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm picking. But send me your gifts, send me your money, and God's going to bless you. And God's going to bless you, but you need to send me the money. Or Roberts used to do it all the time. I know, I know I'm naming names. I'm sorry, but. You know, when someone is looking for your money, there's a problem. You get it? I mean, Jesus didn't come and ask people to give him, give him money. If anybody had the opportunity to do that, the right to do that, it would have been Jesus. But we don't ever read about Jesus having a, a time when people were bringing him an offering. And so the, the only time you see gifts, the, 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 the teaching of giving... In the New Testament, is talking about that they, you're supposed to lay it aside and you bring it on the first day of the week. And so whatever God has, what? Prospered you. There wasn't, you know, Paul saying, and you need to give me gifts and that kind of stuff. He was actually talking about the fact that he didn't have gifts. He didn't actually charge them. Okay? And so these are these shepherds. The dereliction of their duty is they're supposed to be feeding the flock, and they're using the flock to feed themselves. They sold their sheep to the slaughter and then claimed a blessing from God. It's just an amazing thing to me. I, I just... It's hard for me to comprehend, okay? And so, the dismissal of the shepherds, then, is where we're getting to here in um, the end of verse 7. I took for myself two staffs, the one called beauty, and the other I called bonds. I fed the flock. I dismissed 
the three shepherds in one month. My soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Then I said, I will not feed you. Let what is dying die, and what is perishing perish. Let those that are left eat each other's flesh. That's exciting. And so the question you've got to ask right off the bat, because these guys are going to be dismissed, is that there's what now all of a sudden? There's three shepherds. That wasn't talked about before, but now all of a sudden there's three. And so you can see I have on here the prophet, the priest, and the king, or the prince. Okay? There are three categories of leaders, shepherds, in the land. There were the, the prophets, but now all of a sudden they were a lot of what? False prophets. They weren't teaching the word of God. They were teaching what people wanted to hear. They were tickling their ears. Does it sound like New Testament? Okay. Then in times, people are going to heap to themselves teachers having what? Itching ears. Okay. The priest. The priest of all people were supposed to be representing Yahweh. What was his job? What was the job of, of the priest? Well, yes, the scribe, okay, did that, part of that job. But what did the priest do? He offered the sacrifices. He was, and if you would, the mediator, okay, between God and men at the time. We know there's no mediator between God and men but the man Jesus Christ, right? But in a sense, the priest was at that time, as we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, that's our job is to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God on behalf of the people, but then to offer up spiritual sacrifices, if you would, or spiritual teaching on behalf of God to the people. And so the priests had failed in their job as well. They're no longer shepherding. They're again fleecing the flock. And so what about again, what about us? But then there's the, the, the princes or the kings, okay, who were supposed to be the leaders of the people, and all they're doing is fleecing, you know, and so they all want to get rich, 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 and so it's all about them, and so they, they get more and more taxation. And so you go through the kings, and you read about the kings, and they place themselves under the, um, the authority of all these other foreign kings. And the uh, foreign kings say they want this tribute be sent to them. And what did the kings immediately do? No, how did they get the tribute? Well, some of them stripped the temple, but before, before that, taxed the people. Tax the people. Think about our government today. And again, I'm not making a political message here, okay? But think about it. Th think about it. Instead of curtailing our spending, instead of, of um, limiting our, our, ourselves in discipline, self-discipline, what would we rather do? Tax and borrow. Tax, tax and borrow. Yeah, exactly. How sad. Because as the king said, as long as it doesn't happen in my lifetime, as long as it doesn't happen in my lifetime. Do we live that way? Do we live that way? And so, this dismissal of the shepherds, he's going to get rid of them. And this all happened, this is really kind of interesting then, when you think of this as being prophetically, because we're going to get into this next part where we're going to talk about the rejection of the true shepherd. Okay. At the same time, when Jesus came, and Jesus was rejected, we'll talk about this in a moment, Okay. what happened then, right after the rejection of Christ. Rome was already there. But what happened a generation after Jesus' crucifixion? Jerusalem was destroyed. When Jerusalem was destroyed, what also was done away with? The temple, the sacrifice, the prophet, the priest, the king. There hasn't been one. There's been silence. 
since that time. I mean, I know John spoke the revelation, but think about it. Other than John, the canon is what? It's finished. Now, does God still speak to people? 100%. But in a prophetic way where we're going to write it down as another book of the Bible? Not at all. What about the priests? It's gone. We have only what? One priest. Came in the order of Melchizedek as Christ himself. And that you and I, then, are called to be priests, if you would, in that order. What about a king? Has Israel had a king? No, they still don't. They're waiting for the what? The true king. He's coming. He's coming. It's so exciting. But it all plays into this rejection of the true shepherd. So we see, verse 10, I took my staff, beauty, I cut it in two, that I might break the covenant which I made with all the peoples. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of Yahweh. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out from my wages thirty pieces of silver. And Yahweh said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of Yahweh for the potter. And so, first part of this is to pour the flock. So that when the true shepherd comes, right, he says, um, there in verse 11, So it was, broken into the day, thus the poor the flock who were what? Who were watching me, they what? They knew it was the word of Yahweh. What about the rich? They were blinded by their riches. But the poor of the flock. So Matthew 5, Jesus said, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, for they shall be, they shall be fed. Matthew 11, Matthew 18, Jesus talks about how the poor, the children, let them come unto me. It was the poor, if you would. Now, were there exceptions? There was exceptions. Nicodemus came to him at night. But as a whole, who were the ones that flocked to Jesus? The common people, the poor, okay? Based upon this as well. But the, um, the rich people rejected him, the ones who were in power, and they set a price on his head. And what was his price? 30 pieces of silver. Isn't this amazing? I, I just, do you think the priests and the scribes in Jesus' day knew the book of Zechariah? I mean, how do you do this? How do you set a price on someone who's claiming to be Messiah? It's got to be mockery. Utter mockery. I mean, total contempt. I don't know any other way around it. But then Zechariah is fulfilled as well because they gave me the wages, so they counted it out. And in verse 13, Yahweh said to me, throw it to the potter. And so Judas realizes what? This is all wrong. And so what does he do with the money? He throws it into the temple. And, and the priests realize that this is what? Blood money. They can't accept it back into the temple. And so they turn around and they buy the potter's field. Again, as we're talking about in Sunday school with Jeremiah going through 40 and 41, um, and looking at the, the path of decisions that, that go on through the final times of Jeremiah's life, it's just an amazing thing as we consider this. 
But it's the same thing in, in just in any aspect of life. These, these paths of decisions that go on. You make a decision that leads to another decision that leads to another decision. Or somebody else may make a decision that causes you to make a decision. Does it make sense? It all plays out. That's going on here. And so the statistical um, improbability that this thing's going to play out just like it plays out is amazing to me from the math side. I just love looking, again, at these prophecies, seeing how they're fulfilled in Christ. So you have the rejection of the true shepherd. But finally, you've got the coming of the foolish shepherd. Ah, two Y's there. Isn't that fun? The coming of the foolish shepherd. Has there been a a double Y in every one of those? No? I wonder how I did that. Anyways, so the coming of the foolish shepherd. Okay? Last couple verses. Then I cut into my other staff bonds, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And Yahweh said to me, Next, take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. That's the anti-Messiah. For indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those who are broken, nor feed those that, that still stand. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. So again, as we saw in chapter 9 last week, we see this, this play of the vision then between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, where now all of a sudden they've rejected the true shepherd, okay? And you're going to have this, this gap. And then all of a sudden Yahweh's going to raise up a foolish shepherd, the Antichrist, Anti-Messiah, okay? And, um, and again, you can go to these verses here which talk about the coming of the, the Antichrist, um, in the, the, the man of perdition who's going to come. And how we talk about that they're going to wind up believing the, the lie. Okay? I really think that the final, um, the, the final sign to Israel is going to be the harpazo of the church. You say the harpazo of the church, what's that? That's actually the Greek term for the rapture. Okay? Where it's going to be caught up into the, into the clouds to meet the Lord. And that those who are dead will precede those who are alive. But it's all, we're told by Paul, going to happen in a moment in the <coughs> twinkling of an eye. And, and so, it's going to be, in my mind, the sign to Israel. Okay? Because, again, the, the purpose of the gospel coming to the Gentiles is to make the Jews jealous. Okay? And so, you're going to, all of a sudden, you're going to have this final moment. And that, that God's word is going to be revealed. And that moment, I think, is going to be the ultimate testimony to future prophecy written in the New Testament as well. Make sense? That there's just as prophecy is being fulfilled here, there's going to be prophecy that was declared in the New Covenant that's going to be fulfilled. And so Israel's not going to be able to, to ignore it. It's going to have to be there. Okay? And so, but, as we just said earlier then, in the beginning of chapter 10, when we looked at that, because there was no true shepherd... They, they were looking after diviners and, and looking after household idols, and they were seeking them, but they were being deluded with a lie. So it's going to be in the same way in the future. They're going to believe a lie. And you're going to have the final week of Daniel's vision, that of the, the, the 70 weeks, the final week of that, the seven, final seven years is going to play out, Revelation chapter 11, where you're going to have then the anti-Messiah, anti-Christ, who's going to make a covenant with Israel for seven years. And they're going to believe it. They're, they're going to think, oh, this is great. How can they do that? I don't know. But they will. The Word of God says so. And halfway through that week, halfway through, seven, three and a half years into it, what's the anti-Messiah going to do? 
Antichrist going to do? He's going to break his, his covenant. That's when the, 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 the sign of the, the beast comes along, the, the 666 and all that kind of stuff. I'm not worrying about that stuff because that's halfway into the tribulation period. We're not even there. I'm not worrying about that. I'm not worrying about having put on my hand or on my forehead. People always were so worried about that. Read, read Revelation. Blessed are those who read and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And so read it. Understand it. Know what's going to happen. God's not leaving us with, with ignorance. You know, he's given us this stuff so we know how it's all going to play out. I mean, there are some things I don't know how it's all going to play out, but he's given me the basis of all this. And so I know that this anti-Messiah is going to come. But know what this anti-Messiah does, because I want to get to the application of this. He's going to raise up a shepherd, foolish shepherd, in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand. He will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. What's going to be characteristic of of this foolish shepherd? He doesn't care about the flock. He's going to look like he does, but he ultimately is not. Do you understand? He looks like a shepherd. He looks like he cares. He's going to feign like he cares because he wants the people to follow him in order that he might fleece them. And so the application, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I don't, we don't have time to look at it, but you can look at it. We've talked about this an awful lot. Paul says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy for, for just as Eve was deceived by, by the serpent in the wilderness, so you also may be deceived. Someone may come into you with another Jesus or another gospel, or another spirit, and you may very well accept him. Actually, it's another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, in that order. And you may very well accept him. And then he talks about these false apostles and stuff. And he says that, down in verse 13 and 15, he says that, for Satan himself also transforms himself to be an angel of light. Therefore, it's no marvel if his ministers also transform themselves to be ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. What is this saying? There are false pastors. There are false shepherds that are out there. There are people out there, men and women, who are standing in pulpits today, even today, who, who pretend to be, who seem to be, who per, have this portents of being a man or woman of God, declaring righteousness. But all they're doing is leading people astray. They're feeding themselves on the flock. Pray for me on that one, because it, it's the balance between, you know, getting paid and that kind of stuff. You know, clearly I have needs, and it's nice to have my bills paid as well, and it's nice to be able to um, have more time to study. But I don't ever, 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 ever put a Benny Evers one in there, ever, 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 want to look at this as a job. This is not my job. I'm not a professional. Again, as we shared in Sunday school, this is my calling. I, God has called me to Augusta. I tried to get out twice. I'm not going to go into all I tried to leave Augusta twice, but God smacked me, threw me up the wall and said, hey, kid, this is where I put you. And so this is where he's put me. So I'm here. Okay? And, and so regardless of whether I get paid or I don't get paid, no, don't take that as a thing for the next vote. Anyways, um, I'm here. This is what God's called me to do. Does that make sense? And so, but I know <laughs> in the flesh side of Bob, what a struggle that is sometimes. Does that make sense? So pray. Pray that, you know, that... When I, that as I battle the thing, that it never, I don't want to know who gives what. I don't, I'm not a part of the counting. I don't want to know who gives what. I don't want to know any of that kind of stuff because I just know Bob. Make sense? And how easy it is for Bob to become distracted with that stuff. I, Bob doesn't want that. Bob does want that. Bob doesn't want that. Bob doesn't. You, you get that. You know, 
who's going to win out in the battle, right? And so 1 John 2 says, tells us to be careful about Antichrist, that the spirit of Antichrist is with us, for we know that many are thou with us. They went out from us because they were not... They were not of us, for had they been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out from us, that it might be made manifest that they were never of us. The idea is that there are ones who are, look like they're part of the church that leave the church. And then they draw people away after them. But they never were of us. That's kind of something to think about with some of the big names that have recently left the church. That's a struggle for me. I mean, some of these guys, I would have bet money on the fact that they were real. Good thing I'm not a betting man. I'm very low risk, you know. And so, um, you know, I didn't bet on the Steelers. So it's just, I just want to go there. Um, but but they're going to they're gonna be there. False pastors and teachers who feed in a flock. I, I just can't imagine what it would be like in that day. I mean, I know my own sins. But to pray, P-R-E-Y, on the, on the, on the flock of God, hmm. God's got something special for them. And it ain't on a good sense. So in the end, how do you view the return of Israel to the land? Is it prophecy being fulfilled or just a coincidence? Now, I'm, again, not, I'm not setting times and dates here. But it's exciting stuff. Do, is it just a coincidence to you? Or do you see God's word being fulfilled in your, in your eyes? Listen, believers for thousands of years have been waiting for this moment. If this is happening. It could be 600 years from now. Either way, I'm going to meet the Lord, right? But how exciting it'll be if it comes in the clouds during my day. Do you believe that Christ will return to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem? Do you really believe it? If so, what effects does it have upon your life right now? Is he the king of your life right now? Do you believe that there will be an anti-Messiah or anti-Christ who will come into prominence? Again, do you even care? You ought to care. Because in the back of your mind, there ought to be this little thought process going on of, hey, wait a second. Maybe that guy, or woman, isn't, because we don't know yet, right? Daniel says that this one to come won't have a desire for a woman. Now, that could mean a couple different things, and I'm not going to go there. But, you know, one of them could be that they don't have a desire for a woman because they are a woman themselves. Make sense? Anyways, so, but are we even thinking about the fact that, hey, you know what? An anti-Messiah might be on the scene even today. Okay, we don't know. Is there a need to change the way you think, and therefore change the way you act. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your great love. Lord, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve any part of your grace or mercy. I thank you, Lord, for your word, which you've given to us as part of your grace, as part of your mercy, as part of your love, that we might know you, your plan for the future, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful, to read it, to study, to apply it to our lives, to share it with others. Lord, you have given it to us, not just to to become fat with, but Lord, to be exercised by And, Lord, that we might then also share it with others, that others might be drawn to you, that others might be prepared for these days that are coming as well. You've said through Joel, Lord, that these days are a day of darkness, um, not a day of great joy. So, Lord, help us to to look at your word honestly and to be prepared for potentially for the days that might be in our day and that you might receive the glory in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.